Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Marvel Movie News. We're going behind the scenes with Spider-Man Homecoming. Also, Defenders has a release date and Legion, all things Legion, coming now. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Marvel Movie News. Welcome! Welcome to Marvel Movie News, episode 125. We are coming from you live from the Daily Bugle. Uh, Yeah, we're going to tell you all the news from all the studios and why you should be as excited as we are for all things nerdy, all things Marvel. Uh, Matt Key could not be here. He is bargaining with Dormammu. And also our sassy and spunky Koi was infected by the symbiote, and he is fighting that off. But you do have me, your host, uh, Markeia McCarty. That's uh, at M-A-R-K-E-I-A-M-C-C-A-R-T-Y. And I am joined by the always awesome, very knowledgeable, Alan Kessler. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing awesome. Yeah? Uh yeah. I I actually just I had my WonderCon experience this past weekend. It was nice. way fun. Spoken a few panels about um whoops. Oh. <laughs> and then I knocked over Ben Riley. Which which honestly matches my respect for Ben Riley, so I'm not even gonna apologize. Okay. Although She Hulk I will stand up again. Well of course. Ben can Ben can deal. <laughs> uh yeah, I, I actually did a couple panels on how to make a nerdy living. Uh, since oh, since I put out some books out there and people wanted to know. Oh, um, like uh, what are some of the books that you've graced our nerdy world with? It is, there is the New York Times bestseller, uh, Doctor Who History. There is the unofficial Spider-Man trivia challenge. There is the unofficial Batman trivia challenge. The unofficial Game of Thrones cookbook. And nice. uh, the past couple of years I've been co-authoring uh, psychology essays in books such as Wonder Woman Psychology... Walking Dead Psychology, uh, Star Trek Psychology, Doctor Who Psychology, and Captain America versus Iron Man, Freedom, Security, and Psychology. Oh my, uh, I thought I was a nerd. I, I bow to you. <laughs> and I just started Fantastic. a gig with uh, Bandai Namco. I'm working on a video game. So oh, that's cool. Absolutely perfect. Yeah. The universe is epic, and I'm so happy for you. Uh, <laughs> so you. for uh, Marvel Movie News, um, subscribe to us at iTunes at Marvel Movie News or find us at YouTube.com slash Popcorn Talk Network. Uh, you can find us through the Popcorn Talk website. Also follow us on t- Twitter at Marvel News PTN. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, it is not checked as frequently as it should be, <laughs> but that is Facebook.com slash Marvel News Show. Uh, and if you tweet a link out to our show, uh, writing a message telling people about the live chat, then our wonderful sitting on the couch uh, nerd in training, Hello. I'll Ollie. Take it. I'll take it. Why not? Why not? Uh, Ollie will retweet you. I got you guys. Let's get the discussion popping. It's going to be marvelous. Marvelous. You are co host, guys. Come on. Absolutely. And on the ones and twos, uh, we have him. He's semi evil, but he doesn't feel like he's a villain. Hydra Steve. Hey. okay so let's jump right into it uh first order of business because uh it's me and there's black panther (laughs) news so we're gonna have some black panther news hell yeah yes uh letitia wright was confirmed as shuri uh this is amazing because uh 
the reason why is that, okay, she was confirmed back in uh, October or so as being part of Black Panther. Right. But she had a, she had a, you know, a name. It was like Sarita or something like that. It was right. not Shuri. It was like John Harrison. And, oh. and you turn out to be Khan. No, it's actually going to be much. <laughs> it's going to be much cooler than that because Shuri is amazing. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. Um, Shuri is uh, T'Challa's sister. Uh, here's an absolute gorgeous picture of her. She is ferocious. She is a wild thing. She is confidence uh, manifest uh, manifested in a beautiful form. Uh, and also, she ends up being Black Panther herself. Um, yeah. There's a yeah trials and tribulations with that. Um, but we found this out. Um, well, they had a picture that unveiled the full main cast from the film. Um, credit to Eric Vespi at Eric Vespi uh, from Ain't It Cool News. Um, he was at Paramount's CinemaCon panel, and they did a yeah they had a full thing. And then there with Letitia Wright. They had Shuri under her name. Uh, and so for Letitia Wright, if you are not familiar with her, uh, you would find her on uh, Doctor Who. She's going to be in Steven Spielberg's uh, Ready Player One. Um, also, she's on AMC's Humans, um, the second season. And also, fun fact, uh, Vanity Fair reported um, Michael Catton-Jones, and I might have said that wrong. Um, he's the director of The Jackal. Um, he's also the one that discovered Leonardo DiCaprio, put him in um, This Boy's Life. He said that she's the next Leonardo DiCaprio that she balances distress with ferocity. I'm like, I want Shuri to be distressfully ferocious. So, I, I think this is just <laughs> fantastic. And I mean, it would have been, honestly, a lot of people would have been upset. As cool as Black Panther is looking to be, a lot of people would have been upset or or really just down if Shuri wasn't going to be in the movie. Like, she, she's become such a part of the mythology ever since she was introduced, where even if she's not Black Panther, mm -hmm. it's hard to think about the adventures without her now. Exactly. I mean, I, I almost hope that they don't have it where she's trying to be Black Panther in there. Uh, because for the simple fact, this political thriller is already chock full of everything. Sure. You know, everything from uh, we have uh, M'Baku, um, you know, we have the White Gorilla tribe going in there, Eric Killmonger. I mean, we, we have enough in there. And also, I mean, the Marvel Universe cinematically has, has set up a lot of pieces for there to be legacy characters later mm. without necessarily having it right now. You know, we've got Falcon... And we've got Bucky. Neither of them are necessarily Captain America, like, next movie or something. But <laughs> maybe down the line. Maybe down the line we can also meet Patriot. You know, Agents of I'd S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has already been building up the mythology of superhumans before the rise of Tony Stark. And so you, you've got all these pieces set up of legacy characters that can come later. You know, we could have three movies of Peter Parker being Spider-Man and then introducing one of them Miles Morales as just some kid he babysits. You know, you you can easily good. Yeah, you can you could do all this stuff. So, yeah, Shuri being there like you don't have to do the Black Panther stuff now. You just have to make her awesome. Yes. And I I feel like they've chosen the right actress for it and I can't wait. The women in this film, oh, Denai Guerrero, we got Lupita Nyong'o. Angela Bassett. Yes, queen. <laughs> I I'm shook. I'm so shook, and I'm so ready to see how everyone is going to come into play. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Well, less than a year now, so that's wonderful. Uh, and also, we have some uh, uh, Black Panther debuted some first set photos. Uh, Walt Disney Company Korea gave fans a first look at one of the Black Panther's action sequences. Uh, it was the massive car chase sequence. It was filmed in South Korea in the port city of Busan. Uh, we saw some of this um, last week where we had uh, somebody from Instagram that had done a, uh, uh, they had a video of it. And if you see this uh, picture, you can see Black Panther, definitely Black Panther, balanced on top of a very 
very expensive looking car. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you have to wonder, oh, who's in that car? Do they know that he's up there? And how terrified are they? It's just, I, I'm sure this is going to be a really cool scene in the movie, but just having the still without the context, <laughs> it's very much like Black Panther is literally one of those cats that just goes, you can't see me, exactly. you can't see me, I'm being all stealthy, you can't see me. <laughs> I love that. Uh, uh, yeah, this is uh, uh, from a much bigger uh, chase sequence, um, and it's going to actually feature more than just this car chase scene. Uh, and it's all set in the backdrop of Gwengali Beach area, mm. which um, is supposed to have a lovely mixture of architecture from modern, and then they also like preserve some of the the history of the city there. So I'm actually very interested. I mean, that's in that's can look. That's one of the great things about Wakanda is that oh. it, when, once you got into Wakanda, you had this ongoing narrative of that Black Panther himself, T'Challa, was trying to modernize certain things that he got out into the world and was trying to increase the infrastructure and increase the level of technology. And people were for that, but they didn't want to westernize the country and they didn't want to lose their identity. And so you would have like people still living in huts, but with holographic projectors inside <laughs> and things like that. It, it made it a unique place in the Marvel Universe. So, yeah. I mean, I mean that fits... Yeah, and then also that was a wonderful lever for um, Eric Killmonger to get in there. Where yes. It's like, what? Our leader has all these Western ideals. Yeah. Uh, we aren't good enough as we are right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and that was a huge theme in the storyline that introduced Killmonger, even with Black Panther's mm-hmm. girlfriend, who was African-American. and so uh, Monica. Right. Monica Lynn, I believe. And so the, the people of Wakanda, not all, but some of them, judged her as, well, that means she's American. Mm-hmm. She's not African. She's certainly not Wakandan. Yeah, and a jazz singer? What's and a this? jazz singer. What's this? What did you bring home to us? Go to La La Land. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so, moving on, we do have some Infinity War news. Um, there is evidence on uh, Thanos' Black Order in a set video. Uh, yeah, uh, Twitter user Richard Rydell snapped photos and captured video of an Infinity War motion capture actor wielding a pike that resembles the one that Corvus Glaive, which is uh, Thanos' lieutenant in the comics, that he has. Uh, well, actually, this that okay. we're seeing up here right now, this is Proxima Midnight. Yes. Um, she also has, a, there is a different motion capture person mm-hmm. that also has a specific um, staff, and yeah, that and that's hers. Uh, for, for um, there's... Five members of um, the Thanos' Black Order. Uh, there's, uh, well, here's uh, Corvus Glaive, and you can see his glaive is... Which <laughs> <laughs> is really just the best name. Yeah, it's so fitting. His parents chose wisely. <laughs> I mean, that's, those are the parents who knew that their their <laughs> child was becoming a bad guy later. Yeah, um, the whole thing with uh, Thanos' Black Order, they, uh, they're they hunters for the Infinity Stones. So, like, you see these guys, they're going to go after Vision. They're going to go after Vision and oh, his yeah. Mind Stone. I mean, oh, that's yeah. that's a definite. That that one's the one that's right out there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's Proxima Midnight, who's the wife of Corvus Glaive. Uh, she's, like, practically indestructible, but everybody has a weak spot. Uh, yeah, uh, that's her, Proxima yeah. Midnight. Uh, and then the Corvus Glaive, there's a supergiant... Uh, she has uh, telepathic abilities, but her name's Super Giant. Uh, and then there's a num- uh, Ebony Maw. Uh, there's a number of them, uh, and I'm missing somebody. Black Dwarf, and then Black Dwarf also. So, oh, speaking of Infinity War, uh, the Ragnarok director was on set. So we had some uh, ta- Taika Watiti, and I think I finally pronounced that right. All right. Uh, we had Taika Watiti, um, who's still in production, 
uh, on the forthcoming Thor sequel. Uh, he joined uh, longtime Marvel executive producer Luis D'Esposito uh, and Avengers Infinity War directors Joe and Anthony Russo um, on set. Uh, so, yeah, we have a really great picture of them. And that this picture just makes me happy. It's such a it's such joy. There's um, just joy all across the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that's just cool to see. Like everyone, yeah. everyone who's been involved in any of these movies clearly is having a great time. You talk to them; they talk about what a fun time it was. Even the production staff, like the the gaffers and the camera folk, are talking about it like it's summer camp. And that's fantastic. And I mean, you know, it goes from the top down. Exactly. Like that. When you've got that feeling, it carries over into the film. Yeah. Hire me. <laughs> we also yeah. like to have fun <laughs> right here. We love it as much as you do. <laughs> but yeah, it's cool that every every director in these films have a say in Infinity War because that's what it, these films have been leaning up to. And it's good that everyone has a great relationship. So hire me, like I said, please. <laughs> I want to get on this this Marvel family, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's no word of why he was actually on set. Um, although, you know, the obvious answer is, uh, well... Probably a post-credit scene, possibly. <laughs> or, you know, just kicking it with his bros, possibly. Or saying, oh, hey, here, you know, lending his opinion for some character elements, possibly. Mm-hmm. So, Here's yeah. what you're doing wrong. And oh. then he just, comes, he just comes with like a red marker, like, wrong, wrong, <laughs> wrong. Man. If he did, I would kind of hope he'd do it in a song form with like a ukulele. For right. some reason, whenever I picture him, like... That we, man plays a ukulele. More, yeah, we need more musical numbers in the MCU for sure. For sure. I think that's actually a fair that's a fair assessment. <laughs> might yeah. as well. Why not? Why? <laughs> that might happen in Ragnarok. We don't know. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> it easily could. Uh, so for Inhumans, uh, yes, uh, so the the latest batch of set photos and videos uh, feature a new look uh, for Serenda Swan, and she's playing Medusa. Uh Okay, she's the strong and fierce wife of Black Bolt uh, and also queen of the, the Inhumans royal family. Uh, one of her signature things is her beautiful long red locks. Uh, they have a power all on into themselves. <laughs> that and a purple dress. But if you see in uh, the picture that we have right here, uh, purple dress, yes. Long locks, no. In fact, it's a very shaved down. So it's a possibility that that could be maybe she's imprisoned in some way and her locks have been shorn. I think that that was one of the storylines. I'm curious if humans. I mean, they, they could be doing that. You could also be doing where just to save on special effects mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and extensions, yeah. frankly, you might have her hair in sort of a normal mode for certain scenes. Then it'll like power up like like the hair might and Hulk like- out. <laughs> you know, then it'd be like Ursula, and, right? Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, because because once you're dealing with if you're dealing with the fact that the hair is strong enough to you know grab people and hold them, and that mm-hmm. it's it's prehensile and everything, it's not that much more of a stretch, forgive the word, to say that it <laughs> extends outward and can grow and elongate mm-hmm. when she needs it, or then like recede or hopefully yeah. not shed when she's done with it. Yeah, yeah, so you're, you're not forgiven for that pun, by yeah. the way. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was reading somewhere that they, she was actually spotted though with a with a red wig. So I don't know. Okay, maybe mm-hmm. they ch- changed their mind. They could be doing that. There's know? also when we met Medusa, she was uh, had lost memory of her inhuman inheritance, and so mm-hmm. she became uh, someone easily manipulated to join the Frightful Four. And so she was part of the Frightful Four, fighting the Fantastic Four for a while. And then eventually we met the Inhumans, and she was like, oh, my God. I remember. I'm from Adalon, which doesn't sound at all like Atlantis, and is the hidden city of the Inhumans. (laughs) And 
now we're gonna go live in the moon and all that all that jazz so i mean there there's a lot of ways you can play with how medusa is is or why she's rocking this look mm-hmm. yeah yeah face, though. yeah it's just interesting that they would do it and not do say a bald cap or maybe yeah, a green green, green yeah, cap something thinking. like that uh well you know what no matter what we're gonna find out <laughs> yes, so we we're looking forward to that uh so oh yes ant-man and the wasp uh so the director has clarified um, Hawkeye's involvement in Ant-Man and the Wasp. And despite rumors to the contrary, uh, director Peyton Reed denied that Hawkeye will be involved um, on Twitter, actually. Uh, and I quote, the Russians are swarm tweet- tweeting that Hawkeye is an Ant-Man and the Wasp. Hashtag fake news. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, y'all. <laughs> it's okay. It, it'll survive without Hawkeye's involvement. <laughs> will it? Will it? <laughs> Uh, speaking of okay, so uh, going back to Thor, uh, well, going into Thor Ragnarok, um, there is there was footage and art shown um, at CinemaCon, uh, and according to Comic Con, uh, ComicBook.com's Brandon Davis, uh, who he was on the panel, uh, the footage featured Thor and uh, and excuse me, Sakarin, Sakarin, <laughs> and Sakarin Gladiator Arena, standing on the shoulders of the Incredible Hulk and battling for their lives. Uh, uh, Okay, so for this gorgeous picture, this isn't, isn't necessarily what I just said being depicted. It's um, Incredible Hulk going after uh, Thor with, uh, looks like a double-edged axe. It's a battle axe. Battle axe. But it's still amazing. You can see the gladiator arena is full. You know that the Grandmaster is probably somewhere in there. And right next to him, uh, the McDonald God. If y'all have seen that picture, of, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just saying they have Loki sitting and then right behind him, it looks like there's a McDonald God. I mean, if you want to look at that Entertainment <laughs> Weekly, did that up. Um, oh, okay. So some breaking news for today. Uh, the Defenders released a teaser. It was the first teaser that we get that is also going to give us a release date. And we're going to view that. It's very, very long. So just brace yourself <laughs> yeah. for the, the, popcorn. the sheer length of this. Uh, this teaser for Defenders. Going down. Brilliant! (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely perfect. First impressions, because I know that Alan hadn't seen that yet. Uh, he was just uh, first impressions. Well, seeing all four of them together, like Jessica Jones, which is my personal bias, like I, that was just exactly what we needed because I don't mm. want to know any more of it. But I, I'm just so ready for it. And Sigourney Weaver, I'm so ready to see her in action. <laughs> like that was just exactly what I needed this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 definitely cute. You get a you get a semblance of some of the personalities on that alone. Uh, Iron Fist is showing much more personality in that elevator than yes. he did in the show. <laughs> Which we need. And uh, yes. and actually, I was saying earlier, like, Iron Fist's like half of his better battle scenes, which are I don't know, there are six of them in the whole show, <laughs> like take place in elevators. So I was immediately thinking, like, oh, elevator Iron Fist is in his element. Um, but also, what I like here is that uh, between the four of them, Matt is the one trying to be incognito here, yeah. and that totally makes sense because of the four of them, he's the mm-hmm. only one who even has the smell of a secret identity on him. Like he he's yeah. the only one who isn't kicking people's asses with just. <laughs> a t-shirt or a jacket on uh so yeah it's uh it's cute it's very cute and you know what and this is what a teaser should really be it's just something to tease Mm -hmm. 
You know, it's it's uh, if you just give like clips of here's someone's fist, here's someone's leg. Honestly, it's like let's just save that for the trailer. That's just that's nothing. So yeah. to do something, if you're gonna do something that's this short, to have a little fun with it, I'm fine with that. I think it's yeah. cute. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Um, I did a thing earlier this morning for uh, Screen Junkies News, um, breaking this down. So uh, just some some things that uh would be pointed out that in case you didn't see it in the uh, the. 15, 19 seconds <laughs> that was there. Uh, some fun things like um, Luke Cage. Uh, he is already riddled with bullet holes like uh, in his hoodie. Uh, it feels like they've come from some sort of altercation. Um, they are at Midland, um, which, you know, um, Sigourney Weaver's character, um, Alexandra, uh, works there. Mm-hmm. So um, also, very interesting fun fact, they are not getting in on the ground floor. If you look... Um, in the upper right corner where it has uh, the floors, they actually get in on uh, the 45th floor and then the arrow starts going down. So they were on a higher floor, obviously doing some sort of battle, like Alan was saying, that um, Matt Murdock has his face covered like earlier Daredevil. So what exactly was going on on the higher level of Midland? Was IGH involved? Was the hand there? I, I mean, I also noticed that Daredevil is wearing not his traditional horned helmet, but a bandana. And I like to think that he's trying to shame Iron Fist for not wearing the bandana. <laughs> it's like, look, this could have been you, Danny. This could have been you. I love that. Uh, and then as far as the release date is concerned, um, after Jessica Jones, uh, well, takes the security camera offline, uh, the timestamp in the top still says 0818-2017. So August 18th. I mean, that's about as close as you can get to a confirmation. Yeah. August 18th of this year, we should have the Defenders. Can't so, wait. I am I looking know. forward to it. I am absolutely looking forward to it. Like, I was <laughs> I was not satisfied with Iron Fist. There were a lot of too many... Too many missed opportunities, things being phoned in, the fact that fight rehearsals were 15 minutes before they started shooting. Yeah. That's all, that wasn't uh, uh, impressive to me in a lot of ways, but Defenders is a different show. I'm looking forward to Defenders. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. really, re- and Sigourney Weavers. It's Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver. freaking Weaver. Plus the Defenders, plus Misty. She is the Catalina, Catalina wine mixer. Yeah. She is that. I'm, I'm so red for that. I am so red for Defenders. Yeah, uh, and then you know, with with Iron Fist, it was interesting that they chose to take a mystical kung fu show and change it into more of a um, maybe a, a, a. They were speaking on corporate life and then having outsider coming into corporate life, which was an interesting take. But there are four different kinds mm-hmm. for um, uh, you know for those Netflix series. Well, Iron Fist was not mine. Yeah, well, um, also, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. Yes. Also, like uh, if if you're an Iron Fist fan, the most interesting thing about Iron Fist was never the boardroom meetings where rich people discussed, but what if we're less rich? Like and and there episode were, six was. You know, uh, no, it was all right. The Grand Duel. I think Rizzo that directed. I think the Grand Duel of episode six would have made much more sense if it were a trial he went through. I didn't understand why mm. Madame Gao was going through this trial instead of just like i mean they tried to set up like oh the two of them made a bargain but as soon as madame gal shows i don't honor bargains like well then why did you waste this whole time (laughs) with a gauntlet like there's and that's that's the thing like they're actually like good if iron fist were all bad i would dismiss it Mm -hmm. and i wouldn't really give a care but you had good actors you had good elements you had some good scenes you had some good ideas like Ward having a redemption arc is actually a really interesting thing. Yes, but then I the problem that. is the first three episodes emphasize so much that this guy sounds like he was a sociopath as a kid mm-hmm. and is so willing to kill a stranger 
just in the chance of he might mess up my money, even when he right. shows no interest in it, that it makes it difficult to marry that with the redemption arc later. And, right. and that's the thing with all the character arcs, even though there are some parts I like, there's no consistency with it throughout the whole show. Likewise, you know, Danny, if you want to go with him being this traumatized and everything, that's a way to go. Mm-hmm. But that he can't be Iron Fist yet. He had to, like, tell me that he he left his training because he needs to do this before he's right. worthy to become Iron Fist. Or tell me the dragon chose him, but the monks didn't. Especially after we meet Davos. Davos Ooh, is what a Davos Marsh- killed it. He was amazing. And yeah. he is what realistically in in our world like a martial artist would be who has been training since childhood danny just how he reacts to people not believing him without evidence just how mm-hmm. frustrated and angry he gets all the time those first three episodes and that he can't take on three nurses is is like there's nothing about that that is a martial artist in terms of skill or personality or in terms of the centered focus you need to have much less a martial arts master that is worthy enough to be the Iron Fist. It doesn't. It doesn't marry that. So if you said, "Well, the dragon chose him, but the monks don't know why," you could have saved that. No, the monks chose him against Davos to enter the cave. Like that. Well, that makes no sense to me now. And yeah. and the and the fist itself wasn't that impressive. Like we don't really see it used until the sec the end of the second episode, which frankly is too long to wait for uh, our hero's mystical power. Mystical kung fu show, yes, indeed. Yeah, and and uh, but then also, what is the first the very first thing he does with it after beating up three nurses without it? Another dude's at the door, and with his glowing hand, he pushes him kind of into the door, and then runs. I'm like, that's your opening opening use of the Iron Fist, and then he runs up to another door and punches it, and it goes away. And I'm like, but that was a door. Yeah, you could have opened it. <laughs> like, it, if but he had punched a wall, spectacular. <clears throat> but he, if he had, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, don't make him punch a door. Then make him punch a wall, and shatter the wall. I'm like, oh my a, god, that is a wall. Like, it was all right. a steel reinforced door to an assassin. <laughs> like, it's not. It's I'm not. not that, I'm not trying you know, to to say for it's, them, it's, but just like I'm hopefully with uh, the defenders, and they're going yeah. to. Uh, listen to what we've been saying. A lot of people have had a lot yeah. of strong opinions about Iron Fist. Yeah. Um, and I'm <clears throat> not saying it's not grounded. It is. Because, yeah. uh, those feelings are valid. So hopefully with Defenders, they've, you know, caught on to that and they're going to use Danny Rand in a different way and then hopefully give him more than 15 minutes <laughs> uh, to go ahead and get those fight sequences. Yeah. And so. also make the fist more, more important. Make the fist more, more powerful. Like it's supposed to be freaking rolling thunder, not a garage door opener. It's, it's, it's gotta be like something that, I mean, we saw in one of the comics, you know, someone took on the iron fist and he's like, I will use this. But because he didn't have Danny's focus, Mm -hmm. it burned him alive. It's, it's this power that is just, you can't just have it like glow like a nightlight. And then, Oh, look at that. Like he kept like looking at it. Like he was confused by it. Like, wow, my hand glows really nicely. Like, (laughs) no, this is rolling thunder. It's like, this is what you unleash when it's like, you know what? This battle is ending now. Yeah. And, and, uh, so yeah, they just across the board, they needed to really, and it was, it was like iron fist. The entire thing was a really badly paced first draft, which could have, if it had three more passes, been Mm -hmm. a really solid show, but they thought that first draft was good enough. Those and are they, very excellent points. You know, yeah, and they thought I enjoy 15 that. minutes was good enough to rehearse for each fight. Which yeah, is absurd. which is, it, that's, absurd. that's something that hopefully they'll take the note on. <laughs> absurd. Um, 
So, uh, talking about fighting and uh, and moving into anti-heroes, yes. uh, Punisher, uh, so the new Netflix Punisher series, we've got some set photos of that of Surface. Uh, the newest photos come courtesy of uh, Getty Images, uh, and they show uh, John Bernthal still recovering from injuries sustained in Daredevil. I love seeing Punisher with uh, bruises on his face. I don't know. That's just, there's just something about that. Um, in other photos, though, his injuries appear to have fully healed. Um, and he uses his newfound newfound health to aid him in uh, snatching a police car and uh, just taking off. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, normal, 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 normal Punisher, a normal exactly. Punisher Monday. Uh, yeah, for for me with Punisher, I liked him because he was super pragmatic and super angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't have the money of Batman. Didn't have the conscience of Batman. Um, and it was a pretty fun video game. I played that on uh, original Graybox Nintendo. Oh. And it it was difficult. You tried beating Jigsaw in original Greybox Nintendo for the Punisher game. But uh, yeah, so we have that. So that is definitely um, on the horizon. Um, and con- continuing on with Netflix in general, uh, we have... Uh, so Jessica Jones 2 will begin yeah. production. So season two, uh, we're definitely getting that. According to report from On Location Vacations, uh, Jessica Jones season two will be filming today. In New York City, on Broadway and West, 101 Street. Uh, it's the same location used in season one for exterior shots uh, for Jessica's apartment and uh, Alias Investigations. So, if you're in New York City right now, <laughs> uh, go to Broadway and West, 101 Street. <laughs> Take a picture With and Kristen send it Ritter. to us. Yes. Remember, our Twitter is um, at Marvel News PTN. <laughs> I, I just I want to say I love that in the chat room everyone's going into uh, Green Arrow comparisons with Iron Fist. Oh, just no. like hand, you have failed this city. <laughs> That's gorgeous. Uh, no, it's good. And you know what? That Steve Amell, like as much as much uh, guff as I give uh, Arrow, because there's a lot to give it a guff about. Those fights look better. Those fights had energy. Those fights yeah. really had energy. The best. Yeah. I I really. There was one part of Iron Fist where he's watching footage of 1948 Iron Fist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For 30 seconds. That's and why he's watching, um, um, oh, God, what, what was that? Uh, Baruto. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Bakuto. Bakuto, I'm uh, sorry. But Baruto. no, um, the, um, the, the Iron Fist before him. Oh, right. I forget his name right now. Well, not, yeah. I mean, Ors, Orson, was, Orson was back in the 30s. Orson Randall. So we don't know if this was Orson Randall or, or someone in between. Hmm. But I just, I mean, watching those 30 seconds, I was just like, I want to watch this show. This show looks amazing. He's got the costume. Both mm-hmm. his hands are glowing. He doesn't have performance anxiety every other fight. Yeah. He's just kicking ass left and right like he's a living weapon, which is the description. And that was the other thing. If any of the Defenders shows could get away with the uh, the costume and with having a mask. like It would have been this fourth it, installment. It would have been It's Iron like, Fist. we believe you. You can yes. trust us. Because also, as the Iron Fist, you, you're no longer exactly yourself. You are representing a higher force. And mm-hmm. it is used in, in many cultures. You then take on a mask or an outfit to do that, like to represent something else. So you could have mm-hmm. easily just had him, even if you don't have the full costume, you could have had him with the bandana and just throw off his shirt and, and be then, like, come at me. And then plus, if you had done that, you could have put in a stunt person to uh, yeah. to do some of the scenes. But you know what? Um, Moving over, on. Over and done. <laughs> Moving on. Sure thing. Sure thing. So uh, just, uh, so fun news. Um, Aaron Sorkin is in talks with Marvel and DC 
at the same time. Uh, famed writer producer Aaron Sorkin, uh, you might know him from uh, West Wing, uh, will be meeting with both Marvel and DC this week as the two companies look uh, about bringing his talents into the fold. Uh, comicbook.com learned while on the red carpet at CinemaCon uh, in Las Vegas that he's being pitched by each, though he has no real ties to any particular property. And uh, I quote, I happen to have meetings coming up with both DC and Marvel. I have to go into these meetings and tell them as respectfully as I can that I've never read a comic book. It's not that I don't like them. It's just that I've never been exposed to one. So I'm hoping that somewhere in their library is a comic book character that I'm going to love. And I'm going to want to go back and start reading from the first issue on. So worst case scenario, we get a new nerd into the fold. (laughs) Uh, Best case scenario, uh, he could use his kind of walk and talk with, um, I would think it would fit a DC property a little bit better uh, than it would a Marvel one, but Mm -hmm. um, he is an accomplished uh, director, so, Mm -hmm. you know. The Social Network, Moneyball. Yeah, I believe he did. Right? So, yeah. Definitely a hard-hitting drama film for him, I would say. Um, But who would you guys want? Any thoughts? On I mean, because I'm conflicted on Aaron Sorkin in general. Because right. I mean, his talent is obvious. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you watch any episode of The West Wing during yeah. his time, and it's just it's solid writing and it's solid character building. Uh, he, I would he, want someone else to do the action portion of it. Yeah. Well, obviously that, but that. but also like I think he's a guy who's who keeps going back to some of the same arrows in his quiver. Because I mean, mm. when he did Studio sixty. It just it took itself way too seriously, and he it, it started becoming tell not show, where we were supposed to root for certain couples to get together, despite not seeing why they would want to be together. We were just told, well, they used to be together, so, so naturally you must want them happens. to get back together. <laughs> and then the best four episodes of that show before it was canceled really were West Wing episodes. There was suddenly a military operation involving one of their brothers, and so you had military and politics talking. It's like, okay, this became West Wing, and now it's much better. Um, Newsroom had some amazing stuff in it, but also fell on on tropes that we now can't ignore anymore as being rather, rather sexist or uh, that keep putting women into certain categories of, mm. of what they do and, and how they even talk to other female co-workers or, or things like that. So... Uh, there's there's so much talent he's got. He's obviously got a fantastic voice. He's got a great ear for dialogue that is is almost unparalleled in in the past twenty years of any kind of TV writing. But I would be I would be I would like it if there were another executive involved with whatever he was doing, definitely to sort of balance out some of the things and mm-hmm. and just tell him like, well, what if she said this line instead of him? And just if you just tweak those little things. And then you could put him on something like, honestly, I would be fine with him on something like a S.H.I.E.L.D. Special Forces team or something. Okay. Or uh, you, could, you could make Damage Control as a miniseries and have him on that. Yeah, but we already kind of have that happening in Spider-Man Homecoming. We have like a bit of it, a but it's not, bit. it's not Damage Control the movie. That's you know? very true. <laughs> you could, very you true. could like extend on that. You could go into like the real um, political arenas of... of uh, just how, how some of these characters, like the Ultimates, you can even have them, um, like do something like that, where the, where there is more government oversight and there is more of that. So then he'd be, you know, at home base. <clears throat> that'd be within his wheelhouse. Because then. all of West Wing and Newsroom, when when it really sparked the best, mm. was the, during those conversations of what is what is legal, what is moral, what's allowed. And if you can put that, there are several Marvel properties that deal with that. Yeah. If you can marry him with one of those, I think it could really work. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully something uh, sparks yeah. that fire in him. Netflix we'll see. original? 
Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. So yeah. Venom, uh, the Venom <clears throat> film is eyeing um, Adi Shankar as director. Uh, Splash reports Kelvin Chavez uh, dropped the alleged scoop that Shankar is at the top of Sony's shortlist of directors for Venom. Uh, and it's not that surprising of a choice, really. Uh, since most fans are aware what Shankar's most popular are infamous superhero short films in his bootleg universe, and that's with quotations, <laughs> uh, Truth in Journalism. It's a unique take on Venom starring True Blood's uh, Ryan Quanton as good. psychotic journalist Eddie Brock. So, uh, yeah, one of the pictures that we have up right now, it's black and white grainy. Uh, you see uh, the back of um, Eddie Brock, and he is going through some angst there. So creepy there is something happening. <laughs> so, um, and moving on with Venom, uh, John Watts says Venom is not part of the MCU. We knew that was coming. Yeah, yeah, we we knew. And actually I I prefer it not to yeah. be. I don't want I don't want a Venom that would be in the same uh same MCU as Spider-Man Homecoming is. That's just too separate. I want an R-rated tearing through people Venom and then eventually Carnage. Mm-hmm. Um and it doesn't really feel right with the whole John Hughes as Spider-Man Homecoming. But um in an interview with Fandango and I quote, it's not it's <laughs> not connected to the Marvel world. Yeah. So that's really intriguing what that will be. I don't know anything about it. It's not connected. So there's not that overlap. I'm only focused on my movie right now. <laughs> Marquia confirms, <End> quote. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you think you think uh, John Watts has a lot of people asking him that? <laughs> there's there's some as, uh, exasperation in that quote. Well, also, I mean, the, the fact is there there are some characters who were introduced in other comics but mm-hmm. do stand on their own. Venom, just by his nature, just by the symbol on his suit, you can't fully disconnect him from Spider-Man. And now that Spider-Man is in the MCU, it is a natural thing where people are like, even if they hear he's not going to be in the MCU, even if it makes sense to us, Mm -hmm. he's not in the MCU. You still ask, but why? But why? Why? Yeah, that's that's something that we were uh, speculating with um, last episode, uh, where it's just like, how, how can you have a Venom without him having... Taken over exactly. Where does he get his Spider Man esque thing? I mean, we we spitballed a little bit. Um, For instance, you know, since Venom, well, the symbiote like permeates everything, perhaps they would read in the mind that, oh, you know, Spider Man is Spider Man power. So it's like, oh, that's a great idea. Let me emulate that. We were trying to make it work. I mean, the the thing is also, Venom is actually like, if, if you get to the core of him like not really the traditional Eddie Brock Venom is not a great character he's a dude who was a bad journalist got called out for being a bad journalist and decided yeah. well I'm gonna kill Anger you issues. now oh, and, no. and part of that part of that bad origin is because uh, that was last minute writing because they abandoned what Venom was originally going to be hmm. because the, the guys who, who made Venom the idea for Venom originally was that it would be, uh, first of all, a woman who, uh, during one of Spider-Man's battles, uh, she was on her way to the hospital. Her husband was driving her. And basically, they got caught in the crossfire. Husband dies. The, tra- the, the trauma and, and the stress caused her to have a miscarriage. And so she, like, has this traumatic loss in, in one instant, almost, in one day, and blames Spider-Man for this. And then she found the symbiote and was going to fight Spider-Man with this vengeful thing of, you superheroes ruined my life, and you particularly, you ruined my life. You took my family from me, and you didn't even know it. It was collateral damage. And 
that was the idea. And then uh, whoever was editor at the time, I'm forgetting right now, uh, decided that visually he didn't think readers were going to buy into a a woman figure uh, having that overwhelming power threat against Spider-Man. Like, that it had to be a dude and had to be a really ripped dude. Okay. And so they scrapped it at the last minute... Mm. Because the they, they must have, <laughs> yeah, patriarchy, guys. <laughs> yeah. Patriarchy. Mutants and... must not have really existed back then. Because I'm thinking M. I'm thinking um, any of the summers. Exactly. And, and, <laughs> and female I'm like, right. Like we'd what? seen Dark I Phoenix. Know? We'd already seen Dark Phoenix. We'd already like, seen okay. Madame Hydra. We'd already seen all this stuff. But Marvel wanted someone who like visually would be like Dark Spider Man, and mm. and decided that a woman didn't fit that bill. So mm. at the last minute. Uh, in those Todd McFarlane issues, you finally saw Venom after only seeing, like, a hand push Spider-Man for months. Mm-hmm. Ever, or, like, someone stalking Spider-Man for months. It was now revealed, oh, it's this dude, uh, Eddie Brock. And, like, who who the hell is he? Like, oh, remember that time you caught Sin Eater a few months ago? Like, he did, the, he did, and there was that story about, oh, we found out who he really is. And you and Daredevil figured out, no, that's... That's bad journalism, and here's the real guy. He was the guy who wrote that story, so he's real mad. And and that was kind of it. Okay, and great. Venom is someone that we've developed since then. Other writers, yeah. you know, the, the 90s Spider-Man cartoon developed him as a professional writer for Peter Parker, who kept getting frustrated yeah. and slowly, slowly, slowly became more corrupt. Flash Thompson. That, and, and that Flash Thompson later on was mm-hmm. a fantastic version of, yeah. all right, let's give the suit to someone else entirely. Um the Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon by Greg Weissman, which is honestly my favorite uh, Spider-Man cartoon that's ever been done, I think was the the best. And in that, uh, it took an idea from Ultimate Spider-Man that Peter and, and Eddie knew each other as kids, except here, they, they truly know each other through high school. Eddie was the older kid who protected Peter. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he has reasons to start disliking Peter because he doesn't know the whole story of why Peter's acting strangely now, why Peter seems to like right. duck out in times of emergency yeah, he like he's pe- missing out on his own life and so and like he's abandoning his friends yeah. and then he also starts getting reasons to hate spider-man because f- spider-man's activities start interfering in his life he's working at kurt connor's lab and spider-man keeps fighting these freaks and kurt connor's <laughs> lab gets in trouble and then eventually he finds the symbiote and realizes spider-man and peter are the same guy and it just increases his hatred and then yeah. he becomes venom it was this great arc for the character but again yeah. All of those arcs, including, frankly, Flash Thompson to a degree, because he is trying to emulate his childhood hero, Mm -hmm. all of them involve Peter Parker. So to have Venom without Peter Parker, we've really never seen before. It's an interesting concept. Um, I'm hoping they go full sci-fi action thriller, alien popping out of someone's chest (laughs) and then healing them over with the symbiote. Mm -hmm. I I just want them to go completely sci-fi. And if it's Shankar who's who's done the... uh, R-rated Power Rangers reboot short film like I'm totally behind it so uh, how's the chat room doing with all this knowledge we're dropping on them oh, they're, they're, they're getting into our RDJ and yeah and... Robert nice. Downey Jr. like I didn't even know it's his birthday today so shout out to oh, him nice. getting shout a little out. ahead of ourselves but happy birthday Robert yes. if you're watching Robert Downey because we know you're watching so <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday uh, and we really appreciate you uh, but yeah speaking about Spider-Man uh, so Spider-Man might leave the MCU after the Homecoming sequel. Uh, the former chief of Sony Pictures and producer on Spider-Man Homecoming, um, Amy Pascal, uh, she spoke with Comic Book News uh, via Collider uh, about Spider-Man no longer being a part of the MCU. And she did this at uh, CinemaCon. A lot of things happened at CinemaCon, y'all. 
Uh, and she quote, uh, one of the things I think is so amazing about this experience is that you don't have to have uh, you don't have studios deciding to work together to make a film very often. In fact, it may never happen again after we do the sequel because Sony and Disney and Marvel all decided that it was the right thing to do to allow Peter Parker and Spider-Man to be in the MCU and to work with the Marvel guys and have them produce this film. So um, kind of think of it as it was kismet. It was beautiful. We got some beautiful properties out of it. Spider-Man Homecoming, their talking sequel. I also believe that there is some speculation about trilogy, like um, as he progresses through high school. So it was a very rare thing for three companies to do and a very brilliant thing for them to decide to do because there were only so many stories that you can tell again and again and again about Spidey. And this is something that we would have never been able to do in any other way. Uh, well, see, but now people are confer- saying that she later confirmed she misspoke. Oh, what did she misspoke about? Like, apparently that, that it's still up, that no decision has been made yet. Uh-oh. You know what that means? Cha-ching. Oh, that's the thing. And, and even even if she does, even if she did at that time she was speaking, believe that. Mm-hmm. The fact is, like, Sony has had so much trouble trying to make, I mean, that's that's really the reason yeah. that they got into this deal with Marvel Studios. It wasn't because they thought, my God, you're right. Spider-Man <laughs> belongs in the MCU and how dare we keep it? How dare we? Be? No, it's because, no. hey, guys. We keep not making the right money yeah, for, for some reason. For it's not, just not working. Just not not just on Spider Man, but a lot of their films. Like yeah. a lot of people have been predicting that Sony's just going to start like really dropping out of making films themselves and mm. just help out other people making films. Hey, and it's, so it's okay to be the money and the force behind other people's films, which is mean, totally totally fine. And so it. if if you know Homecoming rocks out, and then Spidey rocks out in his appearance in Avengers, like. Mm. Someone's up top is going to say like, okay, why don't we just let these guys make the films and just keep our hand in it so that yeah. the money can keep coming in for little effort on our part. Like that's that's mm-hmm. going to happen. Um, yeah, I, there's nothing wrong with that. Your name is still attached to it and everybody still loves you. I mean, I, I see this as a win-win personally. Yeah. Um, but speaking of which, well, with Spider-Man, uh, yeah, so uh, Spider-Man set visit. Uh, it appears last August, um, people were invited, like a press and the such, were invited um, on set, and they got all of the behind-the-scenes scoops. I mean, we're talking about some really, maybe, let's say, spoilerific stuff. Um, so, dive in with us. Uh, so, uh, a lot of it you saw in the trailer, that very that trailer that has a lot of mixed feelings for people, let's say. Um, I personally found it to be extremely spoiler-filled. Um, I felt like it showed um, all of Tony Stark's, pro- probably all of Tony Stark's appearances um, in, because he was only supposed to be in about like five or six scenes, and that's what uh, right. the co-producer said. Right. And there were about five or six scenes in the trailer. So, And they even made a linear order out of um, what it was like mm-hmm. you first see Yeah, him, it, did, it you know. did come off like a bit of a, a summary of of things like instead of just you know here's something cool and here's something cool it's like so here's the a here's here's act one in a nutshell yes and here's, this them, in the, here's them in the car and, and he's oh, saying don't be stupid oh act three what is gonna happen in act three yeah yeah, yeah. And then act two was uh the two of them he's like no leave vulture to me get out of my tower just go go be a kid and then no how dare you with that suit you give me that suit back and then it's them flying together so yeah i yeah. For instance. <laughs> yeah, I, I I wish we'd gotten less of the fairy rescue. Like, like not even, even if we, 
if if you showed a bit of that but didn't show us that Iron Man helps the fairy rescue, even that alone would have been a little bit better. Yeah. It, they showed us too much of the fairy rescue. Um, I I'm okay with a little bit of taking back the suit showing us that because it, it sort of sets up this premise. The premise is that you know if you're worried, if you're a certain Marvel fan who worries, well, Spidey's supposed to be a scientist who does his own thing yes and and is is accomplishing his own thing if you're worried that the coolest parts about him the costume and his web shooters are now updated and provided by tony stark well guess what he's it's going to go back to peter doing this and maybe he'll reverse engineer stark's technology enough to make his own versions of it later yeah like i like that idea but again it it, there's too much in the trailer yeah yeah but uh probably happens in the first uh, part of the movie. So, but anyway, with the behind the scenes with the set visit, uh, there's a lot of fun things that we found out. Like, uh, for example, the advanced Spider-Man suit uh, that Tony Stark created um, has a lot of interesting, cool technology. Uh, things that we didn't see in Civil War, most definitely. Like, uh, for instance, um, his spider emblem comes off and is a drone that can be operated by Spider-Man. I mean, uh, most of the cool tech apparently has been disabled, um, kind of like a training wheels program. Uh, and also Tony can track the suit uh, via GPS. However, uh, Peter Parker is Peter Parker. I mean, he's <laughs> he's awkward, but he's a genius. So he ends up deactivating the training wheels protocol. Um, he discovers that the suit has a um, a voice activated uh, voice operating system like Jarvis. <laughs> yeah, um, they say that voice casting was not decided um, at the time that they were on set. It'll be me. <laughs> yeah, I I, I kind of want it to be Tony Stark. It's like, no, don't do that. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> it's just like in his ear the entire time. That would be that would actually be really hilarious. Yes, uh, and. Uh, yeah, so there's a um, there are many differences um, in this version of Spider-Man than uh, that the suit has a bunch of uh, technological improvements uh, than the previous versions uh, that were based on the scientific accident of Spidey's origin, uh, meaning that they're taking a more scientific approach and more practical approach. Like this is something that a kid uh, that's very involved with science would be able to make and do. So um, in the five previous ones, we had a lot of scientific accidents, and those were the ones that gave everybody their power. So when they were looking to reinvent the movie, uh, they tried to do a different tact. Uh, it was, and one was that all the MCU movies try to have this quasi-plausibility, and these are the words of a co-producer, Eric Hauserman, Carol. Um, as much as we can, we try to make it feel like the world we live in. And we felt like if a kid is running around in a skin-tight suit with all of these cool features, it's probably going to be pretty high-tech. So we will see things like Peter Parker inventing his web fluid. I know that there were some uh, speculations on that. And it's a scene that we did see in the first teaser trailer. Uh, And apparently, that is a practical effect. Uh, They actually had a chemist. Yeah, they had a chemist help them figure it out to get it just the right consistency that they wanted to film. So you can make your own um, web slinging. Uh, (laughs) You can do that. So I hope to see more Spider-Man out there. Don't try it at home. Send us your DIYs, please. Your your DIY web slinging (laughs) from rooftop to rooftop. (laughs) This is a terrible idea, people. What have I done? done? Okay, just walk around in your room, on your room ceiling. Here's a fun fun related web fact. So uh, sometimes people wonder like how fast Spidey can web sling. Mm -hmm. And he has been clocked at about 40 miles an hour. Okay, that's when he's web slinging it, and he's trying to really get get from one part of New York from the other. He has been able to get up to about forty miles an hour. 
That's a that's very fast to be like, <laughs> oh, let me grab onto this brick wall and then like, flip myself. And he's got that super thing. strength, and he knows how to make the Ooh. whiplash effect. He he understands physics. And uh, and the hologram that we saw on the ceiling in the uh, Civil War's post credit scene. That was I, social media, right? Was it what? <laughs> that was just social media. <laughs> that for was Spidey. just social media. Yeah, um, that was his Snapchat. Just so you know. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's part of the interface for the web shooters. So uh, one of the ideas is that when he does the the movement, that he can adjust the spray. Like he can change, um, you know, from a web bomb into, uh, and you actually see that in right. the trailer itself. Uh, and that's it's, a classic Stan Lee idea, Stan Lee, yeah. Steve Ditko idea, that he can adjust it with his incredible dexterity. Yeah. One swing you can do from a swinging web to webbing a guy, and you just get your aiming right, and you choose a web and you shoot. So it's a, Yeah. Forget. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> getting really high tech. Real, lots I know. of technique in this suit, and I'm loving it. Yeah, and then uh, some fun things that they found uh, behind the scenes about uh, just things with Peter's youth and his mm-hmm. fears. Uh, it's described. Uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming's described as a real high school story. Like they they put effort into this. They even had Tom Holland uh, go to a Bronx school for three days just for him to get it with how it is just for real. Uh, they actually made a, a special effort to populate the school uh, that they have here. Um, they made a special effort to populate it to reflect the world that we actually live in. They oh. did not want it to be a movie yeah. high school. And also, like, every every high school in New York is just full of the most diverse mm-hmm. like cast of characters you <laughs> yes. could have. Yes. You know, New York, I think someone started figuring out, like, it really doesn't accurately have a racial majority anymore. Like it's just it's just mixed and and yeah it's great to see a, a Peter Parker High School that reflects that again spectacular Spider Man if you haven't checked out that cartoon that was part of why I loved it Greg Weisman made uh, Midtown High which they re- renamed Midtown Manhattan Magnet High <laughs> or M cubed and which is awesome yeah. And it was just, you know, they changed Ned Leeds to be an Asian dude named Ned Lee. They mm-hmm. changed uh, Liz Allen to be Latina. Uh, they just were, were picking and choosing and, and warping around. And Ray I'm, I'm guessing and that they chose, like, stellar talent for that because they have uh, they, Zendaya. Zendaya, yeah. Zendaya, yeah. They have oh, her. Yeah. Yeah. So it's as Michelle. And it's like, wow. And it's, I think it's really good for Tom Holland to really be put in that setting because he's mm-hmm. an English actor. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not an expert on, like, London <laughs> or anything. But, like, for him, it might have been a culture shock. But I think that really, oh, yeah. that's one of the reasons why school. they did it. Yeah. 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 It really helps his character, He, he went yeah. to He Peter went to Parker. school with the same gender. They had uniforms. This is something yeah. that he even yeah. speaks about with it. And it's like that was a culture shock for him. Well, even, like, in America, it would be a culture shock depending on where you are. You know, schools mm-hmm. in Chicago are not schools in New York. Yeah. Schools that's in D.C. are not in schools city. in New York. Very even though true. those are all cities. Like, those are that's very different atmospheres. Yeah, um, but yes, uh, it being a real high school story, like he has a fear of heights, for instance. Um, so you won't see him doing a forty, you know, uh, forty story dive in it. And he's, you know, he's starting off slow. Right. He's, he's only been Spider Man for what's it been six months or so? Mm-hmm. I forget. Um, chat room can check me on that. Um, but yeah, he and Peter Parker doesn't really want to be Peter Parker in this. Spider Man is cool. Everybody loves Spider Man, <laughs> and he's a teenage boy. Why wouldn't he want to be Spider Man all the time? He has so this is a coming of age him discovering that you know being Peter Parker is fine. Yeah, being Peter Parker is great. So he has to go through that. Um, and also, um, they're saying that there's not going to be a Daily Bugle 
um, in it. It's maybe later. Maybe, maybe later. after he hits college. Maybe later. You know, it's, not, not just yet. They toyed with it, but they're like, it, it's just not going to fit right now. And also, what you talk about with him getting the confidence to be Peter Parker, that actually, again, goes back to the original Stan Lee, Steve Ditko comics. Because if you look, like, in, in Amazing Fantasy 15, yes, he is a nerd who doesn't speak up for himself and is bullied a lot. Mm-hmm. By Amazing Spider-Man, uh, like, two or three he is mouthing off to Flash Thompson <laughs> because being Spider-Man has given him the confidence to be... Suddenly the bullies don't seem that scary after you fought for your life against the Vulture yes. and against the Tinkerer and... and Rhino. Uh, <laughs> right, and, and all these creatures. Yeah. So, and, and, and Mad Men. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we also learn a lot of things about Vulture. Um, Eric Hauserman, Carol, um, explains... Okay, uh, this is a long quote, so I'm just going to uh, paraphrase this. But uh, Vulture, he's a businessman with a family, um, and he's just trying to look out for his kids. He sees an opportunity when you have all of these superheroes, you have the incident that happened, and somebody has to clean this up, and who are you going to call? There's no one to call because the government is you know, busy off in other places. Right. So he starts, uh, you know, he has, he already has a company started. So he does a salvage company where he, he buys more trucks, you know, he gets more workers and he goes to, he basically goes to town to fill this need. Just when he starts doing that, uh, Tony Stark swoops in with damage control. And as far as Vulture is concerned, he just took food out of his family's mouth. I mean, there's there's nothing to be done. He leveraged himself to the hilt to get this done, and freaking Tony Stark just waltzes in and take takes that away from him. Um, you know, because damage control they they want to make sure that the remnants of the Shitari technology, you know, that those are rendered safe. Uh, and you know, he that that would send anybody over the edge, though. I'll I'll be honest. And you know, and he already had some of the Shitari technology, and then he he knew Tinkerer. You know, he's got Shocker on board. And, and why looks like not? maybe the Prowler. Yeah. The yeah. the uh, well again like the Spider Man stuff because Spider Man was always more grounded than say some of Captain America's adventures <laughs> or certainly than the Fantastic Four's adventures. You know, oh, Spidey, Spidey was dealing with paying the bills, and if you know Aunt May would lead political protests on college campuses, and and you know you would see like real ground stuff there. He worried about. Uh, you know, Norman Osborn's a villain, but also recognized, well, he, he there are a lot of people who depend on Norman Osborn for jobs and stuff yeah. like that. So this kind of thing of how how does, you know, certain, how do super, certain superheroes affect the lives of a working person, of the working class, is actually really interesting to throw into yeah. it. It's, again, it's something that, that makes it stand out more than just an action beat-em-up film. It's something that works for Spider-Man. And it continues the idea from Civil War, which introduced this version of Spider-Man, of what are the consequences of your actions. And how even mm-hmm. trying to make up for those consequences can have consequences of their own. Exactly. Um, and then Keaton himself, he describes his character as somewhat of a victim. Uh, he takes he takes things in that he feels like a victim. And some of it is justified, actually. He believes that there's an upper echelon of society of people who are getting away with a lot and have everything. And there's a whole lot of folks who are working hard and don't have much. Does that sound familiar to anybody, given the political climate? Which I think is an interesting way to go about this. He runs Salvage. He's a working guy. He's built this business, this company. He works hard, and they took it from him. 
That sounds like a villain. And what a what a love it. What an actor to play him too. I'm oh. still I'm so stoked that Michael Keaton's in this guy's. <laughs> Apparently, I'm, he was the first and only choice. That's uh, what I read. I I mean that alone. I, <laughs> I, like even before we saw anything else, he was like they're making another Spider-Man movie. I was like, man, I love Peter Parker, but I don't know that you need a new movie. Maybe mm-hmm. we can Michael Keaton's in it. I am so I'm there. I don't care who he's playing. I'm there. <laughs> Like, oh, so cool. And I just love the bits and pieces. Like, for instance, um, when you see the pictures of Shocker and how he has um, his gauntlet. And uh, I I remember reading about it and was like, oh, that looks like crossbones. And when you think about it, um, on Civil War, Captain America did rip off one of crossbones' um, gauntlets and throw it down. Yes, the rest of it got exploded. And since Shocker only has one, it is a possibility that they went to Lagos and they got that. Foreshadowing. I'm, on. I'm just saying, just tossing. <laughs> it's that all out connected. There. It's all connected, except like... for when it's not. John Watts says yeah. it's not. It's not connected. Uh, so yeah, this might be a new side of the MCU. Watts was excited about being involved in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and getting to see Spider-Man interacting with the other people, but he also wanted to explore a different side of the world. Um, and. Okay, uh, end quote. I was really excited about that because the other movies have shown what I described as the penthouse level of the Marvel world. What it's like to be Thor, Iron Man, you know, a billionaire playboy and all that stuff. What's great about Spider-Man is that he's a regular kid. And so by showing his story, you also get to show what the ground level is like in a world where the Avengers exist, which is already a great premise for a movie. So that was very exciting. But also just Tom. By having Peter Parker be a kid that also opens up, I think, a lot of possibilities that are only really explored at the beginning of the other two versions of the films. So, yeah. Solid. Uh, uh, yeah, and there you can find a whole lot more like in-depth stuff on uh, Spider-Man Homecoming behind the scenes. I recommend Slash Film. Uh, it was a wealth, a wealth of... It's, and it, it's an embarrassment of riches for Spider-Man Homecoming. But uh, our final order of business, Legion. Legion. Um, Legion. FX's beautifully and weirdly imaginative uh, story, Legion. It had its finale last Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Uh, We haven't been able to talk a lot about Legion, I don't think at all, uh, because of everything else that has happened. But I know that Alan is a very big fan of Legion. I'm I'm almost angry at how good it is. Like I'm just because no one no one really cared about Legion outside of the X Men Legacy storyline. Yeah. He was barely a character. Oh, he real, was, real yeah. quick, this will be spoilery. Yeah, so sorry. do we need to put a spoiler alert up, Hydra Steve? Uh, we're we're going to do reviews and opinions and talk about Legion. Spoiler alert! So. And this is closing <laughs> out the show. Alert. Yeah, spoiler. we will do Mary Marvelites after this, but this is our final thing. Uh. Yeah, Legion. I mean, we we talked about this before when I, when I was on that he was he was really he was sort of this this symbol of mental illness, but he still wasn't developed much beyond it. And then we just put him in a coma for a while, yeah. and then he was a plot device <laughs> to for rewrite, different reboots, rewrite reality. Right. So like he was a plot device for the Muir Island saga when when the Shadow King took him over, and that was just a story that was just meant to bring in all the mutant characters, so that at the end of the story you could relaunch new X-Men teams. That's how we got the gold and the blue team. You relaunched the new X-Factor team. You relaunched like what, what it was all about. And then years later, he's there just to create Age of Apocalypse and then seemingly erase himself from existence. And then it's like 11 years later until he comes back. And then we got 
X Men Legacy storyline with Legion, and he was mm. really effing good. It doesn't seem like we treated him with a lot of love until recently. Well, also that's a thing. Like as people bring him up as this example of mental illness in comic mm. books, but the fact is, if you reread his first introduction storyline, Chris Claremont, very good writer, clearly didn't really do more than surface level research, if any research, into into mental illness because he the, what he's describing as Legion or uh, as Legion's mental illnesses are things that Legion does clearly does not have. He calls him in the very first issue uh, schizophrenic, and that he's been autistic as a result of this. Uh, uh, trauma that left him almost catatonic it's like okay catatonic exactly catatonia and autism are not the same thing that's not the same thing and you don't like get autism from trauma yeah you don't like catch that like a bug like he basically he meant to say that legion is catatonic and and withdrawn and introverted now but he was calling that with under a blanket term of autism and then also schizophrenia is when you're here like in a nutshell Mm. when you're hearing and seeing things that aren't there but then in the next issue, we're delving into Legion as multiple personalities and stuff. Multiple right. personality, which is now called dissociative, dissociative. identity disorder, yeah. is not the same as schizophrenia. Yeah. And and so it was just this thing of, like, you, you just made him this symbol of mental illness without doing research into it. Hmm. Fast forward to this show. Yeah, uh, which, to to say real yeah. quick, um, one of the most beautiful lines that I, I heard from the show, I mean, there were a lot of beautiful lines, yeah. um, but in the, the finale... Uh, he brought up the he brought up the concept of having schizophrenia, and he was like, um, the like the the worst thing about schizophrenia or something like that. He said about the worst thing about having schizophrenia is that it's so easy to convince yourself that you don't have it. Yeah, and it's like that broke my heart. Yeah. I was like, wow. That that's the tragedy of of this. I mean, uh, a beautiful mind, which talked about Russell Nash and and uh, no, I'm sorry, not Russell Nash. That was. That's from Highlander. <laughs> John Nash. There can only be one. Yeah. John Nash, uh, who is the person that Beautiful Mind is based on, has schizophrenia. And part of, you know, when he's, when he's like, but I'm a genius and I will figure this out. All I do is figure out problems. And someone mm. points out, but your mind figures out problems and your mind is no longer, you know, a reliable tool. That's the problem here. Yeah. You can't you you can't say like well I have all the facts in front of me and I'll figure it out when the thing you're using to figure it out is the thing at fault. It is it is a faulty tool. It is not working as as it should. And and that's heartbreaking. It is absolutely heartbreaking and and with here I thought they did a really great thing of of first of all streamlining what can legion do. We we're just like they they went off to the races with it. It was I mean so it was good. visually stunning. It was what I want if there's lessons to be learned, I I want other superhero properties to learn from this. I want like I want, Iron Fist to learn from this, where it's just like make it look like a comic book, make it be make it be appetizing but for also, the eyes and senses, and and also like bring in character and atmosphere. There is more character and atmosphere that distinguishes it from other shows in the first three minutes mm. of Legion episode one. Than there were in you know the first four or five episodes of Iron Fist. Frankly, yeah. like that was that was all just sort of paint by numbers. I've seen this show in different forms before. Mm-hmm. Whereas Legion, like we open up with right after his birth and yeah. take you through his life with no dialogue. We take you through his life and give you a sense of you know him. You've seen him grow up. You get how he goes from like 
really nice kid who's achieving to maybe a bit of a rebel in science class because he's laughing after blowing up an experiment and then he's getting in trouble with the cops and now here he is and and i mean iron fist was frankly to me like just a man-child jerk in in the bad ways whereas legion in that in david in his very first conversation which we get on screen it's like the two and a half minute mark i think where yeah. he's talking with his sister uh, they're, is, in a, they're in a visitor's, uh, the visitor's right. portion of um, the uh, mental hospital. Right, and you are able exactly. to show him that he is awkward, that mm-hmm. he is childlike in some ways, but make him endearing mm-hmm. and make us interested in learning more about him. Like I, I, I was saying the other day on Twitter, I feel like I could teach a storytelling class just based on the arcs that happen through Legion. And part of that is they know when to shut up. They know. <laughs> I, I So for folks who don't know, I edit uh, occasionally, I, I will professionally edit scripts and novels and, and manuscripts and such. And uh, to one of my major notes when people give me screenplays and scripts is don't have them say this, act it. Yeah, like, don't cause, tell cause, us. Show us. Yeah, because so many people like just just want to have the actors like say or or want to almost tell you what this scene is about. It's like mm-hmm. we we get it, we get it. If yeah. if you have the actors doing it right, if you have the right director, then this is a visual medium, whether you're on mm-hmm. stage or screen. Yeah, and another another Legion lesson to have learned: that. trust us, yeah. trust your audience, yeah, trust us that we'll get it. I mean, I I loved a lot of things that um the showrunner uh, and, and creator uh, Noah Hawley did uh, where. It, he would actually change things that would happen in the same scene. And you wonder, did I just, wait, is that really there? Like, for instance, um, when we first see Sid and she's collecting her medicine, uh, there's there's like a blank wall behind her. And then it cuts to the nurse that's giving her medicine, t- cuts back to her. And there's a giant three on the wall behind her. And I'm like, wait, was that there? Rewind? No, it wasn't. Oh, I see you, Noah. Thank you. There's so many things like that. Um, and then speaking with the finale and and particularly, because I know that you were you were kind of active on social media about just how incredible you found the finale. Oh, so, yes. so I mean, not just the finale, but the last two episodes together. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing. Like the uh, Marvel Netflix shows, even the ones I like, I think are too long. I think I think there are too many episodes. Yeah, you're not the only person that thinks so. Yeah. So even even when I was like, I like I really dug jessica jones oh man mm-hmm. but there are you know 20 minutes of an episode here or 15 minutes of an episode here or like things that happen just to make sure we don't stop things yet because we need four more episodes to fill out and it you feel that of like this is not on a storytelling now this is uh we have to have these characters temporarily be dumb and do something dumb so that this obstacle now is here okay. and legion only had eight episodes and none of those episodes is filler. No, no, no. There's, there's nothing that is that asks you to, after you've gone to know a character is smart, believe that they're just temporarily dumb. The closest it comes to is at the end of episode two, David realized his sister's been kidnapped. And in a couple of the Marvel Netflix shows, when something like that happens, someone else will say, well, it's clearly a trap or something. And they'll be like, but I have to go. <laughs> and they'll go and you'll see them screw up. And that'll take half an episode, and then the no, you were right, whatever. And here, you know, he's just like, but how will I know that my sister's still alive? And Sydney, his his love interest, tells him because she's bait. Yeah. And there's just a moment of clarity, and again, no dialogue. You just see him accept. Damn it, 
put his bag down. Sydney just puts her head on his shoulder, and like that's you. You don't even have to have them. You're right. Thank you for thinking I'm right. Yeah. Like just the no, emotion of that. Yeah, no filler, just killer. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, speaking of which, um, uh, another thing that I really enjoyed about the finale, and just like um, this, there's this through line of the Shadow King, uh, and the Shadow King is this really old mutant that has attached itself to David Holler uh, when he was a child. So he's been there with him most of his life, and and he's likened to being a computer virus um, by uh, one of the other characters, Carrie. Uh, who's a, a scientist and doctor. Um, he's likened as a computer virus that has learned um, the in and outs of the system that would be David Holler and is prepared to wipe him clean and then take over uh, the body. So they, there's this whole thing where they have to extract the Shadow King, um, who's Aubrey Plaza, who's amazing. I want to oh, I want to wow. cosplay as her wow. as Shadow King now. <laughs> I because loved she her. she knocks it out of the park. But she she got to really show I am an actor in this. And that's fantastic when you get to see yeah, she got to have range. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing like when when people uh talk about I want this person cast for that, it's it's often, you know, because that they've played a similar role and I'm not really into that. Mm-hmm. Like if like when people talk about I want Brian Cranston for Lex Luthor, I'm not into that because I feel like I've seen that. Yeah, I no, saw I, that. I, I want him for Mister Sinister. But then See, he, that he be, wants he wants that too. So I would be interested in that. that I would be totally interested in that because mm-hmm. I haven't seen him play that kind of a cat before. Yeah. And and to see Aubrey Plaza play a very not Aubrey Plaza character from the beginning, like Lenny, mm-hmm. who she plays in the beginning, who you believe uh, she is, that originally was cast for a man in his forties. That that's the actor they were looking for. I'm and glad they went with her. They went with her. This was and, much. Oh better. man. Oh, oh man. And the fact is, you goodness. didn't even have to change any of the dialogue because she's still no. talking about having sex with women and stuff in, yeah. in the way that it was probably there originally. Uh, like, sexuality is a spectrum. That's yeah, a fact. exactly. It was so so solid. And again, like some of her best stuff is in episode seven where it's silent. <laughs> they put you into the astral plane. There's a part of the astral plane that is a silent movie. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? This is amazing. And and also that you, you gave us a show that bends reality and warps reality, but didn't require actually a lot of special effects. Like That's true. You know, like the first... The camera angles and lighting did a lot yeah, like I mean, getting in close when when you have uh, you know times when when Legion has to be when David has to be like freaking out, you just turn the lights off, throw some red flashes of light here and there, and have a guy in an awful uh, uh, Shadow King mask stand at the corner and just mm-hmm. play some really great orchestrated music, and that's it. You didn't have to use CGI there. You didn't have to go over big. Um, yeah. Even even half of the kitchen blowing up stuff was practical effects with just air cannons. It was gorgeous in cabinets and drawers. Slow, slow motion, with yeah. him Just having him in the center, and 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 every time there is a special effect or there is a use of power, like it it is pushing forward the story. You know, it, yes. it's so so so. And and yeah, everyone's got a solid character arc. Everyone's, mm-hmm. but also everyone's got places to explore, and the visuals. Not just with the cool vid- visuals, like like it's it's a silent movie or something, yeah. but just the sets. Like episode one, you can deconstruct uh, episode one and two. You can deconstruct how the sets themselves tell a story because when Dave was in the interrogation room, 
everything's angular and squares and you've even got the ceiling is that weird thing where it looks like blocks are coming down yeah and, and then got the this, color palette also yeah and it's got this great feeling of the ceiling is coming down on him that this room is meant to box him in quite literally and then you take him to summerland and all the windows are a lot of the windows are round and there are round tables and and there's a great bigger sense of there, there's more natural light everywhere, and there, there are these large windows that go into nature. The therapy room has wallpaper that looks like trees, and is sort of supposed to mm-hmm. be like it's trees. It's nice. It's makes you calm. But then the memory cube, he is actually surrounded by literal trees. He can hang out, and this actually is a place where he will get real help because he's not being misdiagnosed. Yeah. Like those visuals that you can tell a story through that. Um, the number of times David in his flashback wants to talk but is distracted, and while Aubrey is talking, there's a dog keeping him at bay. Like the yeah. symbolism of the dog. Yeah, let's like, not even start with Son of Sam yeah. and all that other stuff. That's the other thing you can yeah, there's, there's go so back much, and rewatch it. There's after, so many layers. And then yeah. uh, as a tip to like you know just the way that Marvel does things, there was actually a post credit scene where um, it it turns out that it looks like oh everything's great. Uh, you know David Holler got a. Uh, uh, Holler got uh, Shadow King, you know, extracted. Unfortunately, it's in Oliver now, not our Oliver, <laughs> a different oh, Oliver, <laughs> uh, played by um, Jermaine. Uh, oh, I forget his last name. Jermaine. Um, he's from Flight of the Condor. Oh, Jermaine. Uh, Jermaine. Oh. Yeah, uh, but he's he's amazing. Um, he's so brilliant. Shadow, he's brilliant. Jermaine Clement. Jermaine Clement. Clement. Thank you. Uh, So Shadow King is now living in him. So we have Jermaine Clement and Aubrey Plaza on a road trip. (laughs) David Holler is on a balcony with Sid, his love interest. It seems like everything's a-okay. Everything's good. Oh, here's this cute little floating ball that comes in, scans him. It's like, oh, what's this cute little... Sucks him into the ball and off into the horizon. And that's how Legion ends. So... There's there's obviously going to be a season two. We're, we're oh, yeah. on board they've already, with it. They've already confirmed it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome there you go. For season two, um, I think it's I think it's going to be absolutely amazing. But we're also starting to run out of time. <laughs> yeah. so. I I just I would like it to be Mojo based on oh. both. He's essentially becomes like a little TV show when he's captured by the ball, but also mm-hmm. because Mojo is symbolically a TV executive, and you use him to satire TV storytelling, oh, and nice. Noah Hawley is all about deconstructing how you tell stories. So I think he would be really brilliant with that. Will that mean it's Mojo? I have no idea. But I also think we're going to see a form of Xavier next season. And also the way he learned who Xavier is, like who his that father is. That was gorgeous. That is how you do exposition. Yes. You know, so like you gotta, you got to watch the oh, show. you got to watch the show. Okay, we're going to take the spoiler alert off. Spoiler alert off, off, off. No spoiler alert anymore. Okay, great. So, uh, yes, so uh, watch Legion. That's basically what that entire section was. So, Mary Marvelites, uh, we've got some quick shout-outs. Um, Berkeley the Wise at KHV6. Thanks for sharing um, that Shuri was confirmed in the Black Panther pick. Uh, very much appreciate that. Um, Shout-out to uh, Stephen Lemieux um, here at uh, Popcorn Talk for updating our new Marvel movie news slate. If you have noticed it. Ah, it's so gorgeous. And it has all of our names on it. Um, Matt Key and Koi Jandro will be here next week. I'm very certain. Uh, because I'm sure Koi could kick the symbiote by then. <laughs> Other shout outs to Dan Schiller, uh, Justin Bass, Curtis Bland, and Captain Chaos. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, quick questions uh, from Michael Blade at Michael B. Ryder. Hey, guys. In response to Venom, could Spider-Man have gotten the symbiote during Infinity Wars and didn't know it? Um, my personal opinion the the symbiote is not shy uh i would think i would think he would know 
pretty darn soon, especially when that second voice starts um, perking up and being like, oh, no, don't do that. Do this. Yeah. Here, I'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> so my personal opinion, no, no, he'd know. Um, Real Texas Viking. What if the Venom movie takes place in the amazing Spider-Man slash Andrew Garfield universe? I'd just be like, why? Why? Even Andrew is like very aware that that, <laughs> uh, that movie fizzled out. Like, you know, yeah. yeah, no. I I think uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna let those be their own standalones, and we're gonna move on from them. <laughs> it's like they're not bad, you know. It's just different. Okay, um, glorious Greg um, at xgphilly nine two nine. Are you ready for Defenders and Spider Man Homecoming to come out already? Yes. Yes, like I'm ready for Black Panther to come, and I have to wait what February 16th or 18th of next year. Yeah, pass ready for it, dude. But thanks, <laughs> uh, Andy Ward at Sabretooth Wolf. Um, I heard your reaction. Uh, oh, oh, this one's for Koi. Um, I heard your reaction to the cable casting on hashtag Marvel Movie News Show. Which Michael who, which Michael would win? Um, he's got um, uh, Bane versus Shannon. B i e h e n. I don't know. Um, we'll forward that one to Koi for you. Um, oh, I mean, Andy. like Mike, Michael Bean. Oh, like, Michael Bean. Okay. Yeah. Michael Bean or Michael, uh, Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon wins. Well, for me. He's not asking me, though. I'd go for Michael Bean. I'd go for Bean, too. Yeah. Good. I'd go for Michael Bean. Cool. Um, so, uh, quick comments. Um, Aaron Wilkerson at Eran Wilk, uh, as in response to Black Panther, looking forward to this. I know, me too. Um, I know Captain America Winter Soldier was a political thriller, um, but I'm feeling there's real tension amongst the Wakandan clans. Yes, oh, yeah. there is. Always. Oh, it's it's real. It's really real with them. And I hope that we can even have a tip of the iceberg of things like between um if they they're not gonna get into it, but there's uh, there's other cults. There's a uh, uh the crocodile cult, there's the lion cult um that's run by um Sackmeat, um and of course the white gorilla cult and of course Black Panther cult. I mean, no, it's it's really real, dude. I hope they have that tension in there. Okay, and then I'm closing out our show. This is very awesome. It's Ollie's cosplay of Spider-Man being be- being beaten by Gwenum Gwenum at WonderCon 2017. <laughs> she uh, love it. This she is awesome. gorgeous. Ollie is well. I'm sorry. Spider-Man <laughs> is laying on the floor. I just realized Gwenum, I saw you. <laughs> Did you? And yeah. Gwenum is Did perched you? atop him. <laughs> And yeah. she's kicking some ass. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't know that was you. That's fantastic, man. If you're out there, you're an awesome Gwenum. Hit me up. Very, <laughs> very cool. Yeah, so that was Marvel Movie News, episode 125. We came from you live from the Daily Bugle. Uh, Ollie, uh, our nerd in training and awesomeness, where can they find you? you can on... find me on all social media platforms at Ollie Dreamer. It's fun chatting with you guys. I can't wait for next week. Yeah, Hydra Steve, you got a yo for us? Hey-o. Yeah, yeah, we do. And Alan, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Sizzler Kistler, S-I-Z-Z-L-E-R-K-I-S-T-L-E-R. You can find archives of my work at alankistler.com. And uh, Instagram, Alan Sizzler Kistler. And uh, A-L-A-N is Alan. And that is pretty much it for me. Awesome. That's a lot of places to get a hold of you, though. <laughs> Very nice. Um, so uh, for uh, the other hosts, um, Matt Key, you can get... To, you can connect with him at the Matt Key uh, and Koi Jandro. You can <laughs> at Koi Jandro. That's C O Y J A N D R 
E-A-U. Now I know why Matt has such a hard time spelling <laughs> mine. And then as for me, I'm Markeia McCarty. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Markeia McCarty. That's M-A-R-K-E-I-A-M-C-C-A-R-T-Y. I'm also on Snapchat under Darth Thinmans. If you want to check out Screen Junkies News, I just did a, a few things with them earlier today, including uh, the Defenders uh, trailer breakdown and my own personal opinion on Spider-Man Homecoming and uh, whether or not there's enough Iron Man in it. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, we love you and so long, Mary Mar- Marvelites. Bye, guys. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.